0: This is another interview brought to you by the Batman
1: uh, this is Seflin Hill, game director on Batman Arkham Asylum. Hi, this is Libra Mayo.
0: I'm Brandon Vietti, director of Under the Red Hood.
1: Hi, this is Gail Simone.
0: Hi, this is James Tucker. Hi, I'm Deanne Jurgens. Hi, this is Bruce Timm. This is Michael Jelinek from The Brave and the Bold. Hi, this is Andrea Romano. Hi, my name's
2: Dan Dio.
3: Hi, my name's Claiborne Moore with the C.S. Moore Studio.
1: Hi, this is Jim Lee. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, it's Sean DiMaggio. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast.
0: Alright, everybody, welcome to the Batman Universe Specials. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us Apple and Josh, and we are doing an interview with Adam Beachhand. So, Adam, thank you for coming on the the show.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Alright, so let's get into the very first question. First of all, how exactly did you get involved with DC and then eventually get into Robin and Batgirl?
3: Well, I think I probably came to DC's attention uh, through a couple of different roads. One was that I'd been writing animation for a while, still do. Uh, and had worked on a lot of superhero and action-adventure properties, including some that were tied to DC, most notably uh, Teen Titans. So I had that going for me. Um, uh, I had also been asked to work on some of the the younger-related uh, Johnny DC titles for DC that were going at the time. I had written an issue of Teen Titans Go, and shortly after that I had gotten the assignment to write Justice League Unlimited. And Eddie Berganza sort of oversaw the Johnny DC line uh and he liked what I was doing on uh on JLU and asked me if I wanted to write Robin. Um, it also didn't hurt that I had a uh, a college friend who was an editor at DC at the time, Ivan Cohen, and on a visit to uh New York, uh he offered me a tour of the DC offices. I wasn't looking for work necessarily, but um, he introduced me around to all the various editors and, and folks that were around. And one of whom was Tom Palmer Jr., who was uh, editing, at that time, Teen Titans Go. And I walked in and and, uh, asked him if I could pitch him some story ideas at some point for his magazine. And and he said, why would you want to do that? You already work on the TV show. And I said, you don't understand. It's comics. It's a chance to write comics. And he said, okay, well, if you want to send me some pitches. So I did, and I went home and came up with a couple of pitches. And uh, uh, he bought two of them, um, both of which saw print, and uh, was off and running from there. And that's where everything else got started from.
0: Well, actually, going into Batgirl, how, how how did you get involved with Batgirl? Because that was a little bit of time in between Robin and
3: Batgirl. Well, actually, uh, my very first storyline for Batgirl, out of the box, was one year later. Uh, for Robin, excuse me. And uh, the only mandate I had coming into Robin was, we want to make Batgirl a villain. Uh, that was really all I was told by the editorial department coming in. Uh, they were looking to beef up Robin's Rogues gallery, as it were. And I think at the time, the idea was that Batgirl or what Cassandra would become would become Robin's new arch enemy. And uh, originally, it was planned to be a six-issue arc that we would start off with. And by the end of it, Batgirl would be Robin's main nemesis. And a couple of things happened. One was that after my very first issue, which was drawn by Carl Kerschel, and uh, it was edited by Eddie Berganza. Both those guys left the series, Uh, and a new editor came on board, Peter Tomasi, um, and I was told that not only was there going to be a new artist on the book, but is there any way that we can compress the story arc down to four issues, Um, which we did, and there wasn't a problem with that, except that it had been plotted for six issues, so everything got very compressed in those last couple of issues, and we wound up with a four-part story that ended with Cassandra going off and becoming a supervillain, and uh, that was my first introduction to the character, was that storyline was working on on turning her from the side of good to the side of evil. I wasn't really given any direction on how to go about doing that. All I was told was, you know, make her a bad guy. Um, so I came up with a plot line and showed that to Eddie, and Eddie seemed to be cool with that, and then once Eddie was gone, Peter, you know, reviewed the plot, and he was cool with that, so we just kept going uh, as it was.
1: Now, when you took over Robin for one year later, right. what were you told to keep from the previous run? And what were aside from the whole uh, Batgirl turning evil thing, was there anything that you were told to put in place? Uh, I noticed the stuff like The General and Bloodhaven and The Fate of Dana. It seemed right. like uh, you were given a pretty clean slate. How much of that was you and how much of that was editorial?
3: Uh, it was. It was all editorial. I was told that I had a completely clean slate and, in fact, to not worry at all about the stuff that had gone before, which I had enjoyed very much. I thought Bill's run on the book was a lot of fun. Um, but I was told to start completely fresh. Uh, you know, A year has passed. Whatever those storylines that were left dangling had been cleared up in the interim or would be you know, left hanging until we could get back to them, but they wanted to start it as fresh as possible. And it wasn't until after I left the book, um, a year and a half later, that i found out that bill had left a note for the whatever creative team was to succeed him on the book uh... with some thoughts on where uh... some of his ideas were going were supposed to go and what he had intended and things like that and i never seen the letter nor did i know about it until i read about it in an interview with him somewhere so i don't know what bill had planned um, i never knew what bill had planned i never had any conversations with bill before i took over the book i was dealing strictly with the editors and uh... and they just said go go for it and be off and running and make it your own. So that's kind of what we did.
2: Now, if you had stayed on Robin, what were some unused stories, uh, ideas that you had or some ideas that had to change, that had to get altered?
3: Well, yeah, nothing was, was terribly plotted out too far in advance. I, I had known for a couple of months before I left the book that I was going to be leaving the book. I knew that Countdown to Final Crisis was coming up. I knew I was going to be moving over to Teen Titans. So I was wrapping up or trying to wrap up some of the things that we had had going. I think that if I had stayed, I probably would have gone back to the Dodge storyline at some point and probably would have come back to Cassandra. We had hinted at a couple of things that were going on with her. Uh, she was working with somebody who was trying to build an army. Uh, we hadn't explicitly named who that character was or shown that character. We wound up doing that in the Back Home miniseries that came later. But I think I probably would have gone back to those stories. Um, I don't know that DC ever planned on Batgirl being a supervillain forever, but if she was intended to be Robin's, you know, Dr. Doom, as it were, then I think we would have gone back to her some and, uh, uh, and checked in with what she had become after, at that point, a year of being out of the Robin book for the most part. What was she doing? What were her plans? Um, how did those involve Robin, and what was Robin going to be doing about them? Uh, I think also we were, we were talking at the time about crossing over pretty seriously with the Teen Titans book. Uh, there had been some stuff going on in that book at the time, hinting at the Robin Wonder Girl romance a little bit. Robin's romantic life was pretty confused at that point. And I think we probably would have done something with that, given the fact that he had developed a bit of a girlfriend in the Robin book but like i say we didn't have anything that was seriously structured and plotted out at that point i had some vague notions of where i wanted to go were i to stay on the book but having a little bit of notice as to when i was leaving i was able to 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 try and tie up as much as i could um... the guys that came after me uh... picked up on some things, and in some cases didn't and there's some stuff that's still lying around so who knows uh... if any of that stuff will get addressed going back but uh the big plot thread that was left after I left the book was, of course, Cassandra, and now we've, uh, we've taken care of that. So,
1: Going back to Bill's note about the future direction of the Robin book, uh, at the end of his run, um, and as with Infinite Crisis, Bloodhaven blew up and he had Tim's stepmom, Dana Drake, in there. Right. Is she alive? Uh, that was never specifically addressed. I don't know if you know or not.
3: Uh, I I don't know and it was never expressed to me one way or the other by editorial my feeling was that she probably was uh, no longer with us uh, uh, and Tim had moved back to Gotham and had had a year at that point to heal from from that uh, he had you know gone on that around the world cruise with the rest of the Bat family and done a lot of bonding and a lot of talking and a lot of sorting through a lot of those issues that he had psychologically we dealt with some of that in an issue of Robin about how he copes with grief and copes with hard times. Um, So my sense was probably that whatever had happened there, he had dealt with it emotionally during the course of the year away.
0: Okay. Now, most of the characters that you've written for DC are teenagers.
3: Yeah. They don't trust me with adults. (laughs) (laughs) Now, (laughs) what
0: would you say the difference in themes for Robin in the Teen Titans versus Robin in Gotham City are?
3: That's a good question. Um, Not to say that all of your questions aren't good questions. They're good questions. Um, I think over in Teen Titans, Robin is playing a little more of a role in that he's the leader of that group. People look to him for leadership. People look for him to be the responsible one who always has a plan, who always has an idea. So I think in that book, he has to put on a little bit more of that air that wouldn't necessarily be part of his natural personality. Whereas over in Robin... At least the way that I wrote him, he could be himself. He could express his doubts, whether they were just in the form of of captions of him talking to himself. Uh, he could express his doubts, his uh, what he was uncomfortable with, what he really felt or thought about things. Whereas over in team Titans, I think he needs to be a little more guarded for the sake of appearances for the team. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, that, that makes mm-hmm.
0: perfect sense.
3: Yeah, I never felt like Robin could really express himself too much over in Teen Titans because he felt like he had to, this image to maintain.
0: Right, so it's basically the same thing as what Batman would have to do in front of everyone else, as far as Nightwing, Robin, Batgirl.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's interesting. I, and I took some flack for the way that I portrayed Batman in Robin and in, in Batgirl. Uh, in the sense that the Batman that I wrote was a little warmer, than had been written or was being written at the time by a lot of people. And my feeling about that was, well, this is a guy who keeps on taking teenage partners and letting them live in his house and is imparting to them the knowledge of stuff that he's learned over his years of crime fighting. He's got to have some paternal instincts. He's got to have some paternal feelings. And sure enough, you know, he's adopted any number of kids now. And they don't let you do that unless you have displayed some kind of paternal feelings, I would assume. So I was able to write him as being a little more, you know, not outright loving necessarily to the kids, but you could sense the fact that he felt a, an emotional connection to them. I think in my, in my book, if Batman is putting on an air anywhere, it's in front of criminals. You know, criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot. I, I tend to play it more that, that Bruce Wayne is the real identity in Batman is what is put on as opposed to Batman is who he is 24-7 and Bruce Wayne is a suit of clothes he slips into. Not every writer plays it that way, and I understand that, and that's perfectly valid. That's where I come at the character a little bit. I think Bruce can, can, can get those personalities confused every once in a while, whereas Clark Kent doesn't get those two sides of him confused very often. Bruce is a little less stable than that, but I tend to think that Bruce has a pretty good grip on the fact that these are his kids, you know, they're in his charge, they're his responsibility, and he cares about them, and I don't think there's anything wrong with showing that.
1: Dan Didio told MySpace that the plan was always to turn Cassandra back to the lighter side, and you were always going to be the storyteller from that, but I got the impression that things changed somewhere along the line. Would the story of her being evil had gone on a bit longer had the fan reaction not been so negative?
3: You know, I don't know. I, and I wasn't tapped into a lot of the fan reaction. I heard a lot about it third-hand after seeing the first wave of of, uh, of threats to my family. <laughs> 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 I, I, I pretty much stopped reading the Internet. Um, but I had heard about it, and I knew that fan reaction was, was, uh, was not positive. And frankly, I was glad that it wasn't positive. I think that if fan reaction had been lukewarm, it would mean that fans didn't care enough about the character. And the fact that enough people are invested in Cassandra enough to really be outraged at a left turn in her character like that, says good things about the character. So that being said, out of that being out of the way, when the storyline started to turn back girl evil, it was never expressed to me, oh, we're going to turn her back again eventually. But knowing comics like I do, having been a reader of comics for 30 years, I know that nothing stays the same forever. And I know that whether I was the one to have the chance to turn her back into a hero, whether it happened within a year, whether it happened in five years or 30 years, chances are sooner or later she was going to become a hero again. Um, it was never said to me at the beginning that I was intended to be the writer who would get to tell that story. I'm glad that DC had that in mind. I didn't know about it until Mike Martz called me up and said, hey, we're planning on doing a back row miniseries where she becomes a hero again, and we'd like you to write it. And I said something to the effect of, are you crazy? And he said, why? And I said, well, first of all, fans will burn down your building. And he said, no, 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 we don't think so. We don't think so. We think you're the perfect guy to do it. Um, Are you up for it? I said, Yeah, sure. I'd love to come back to the character and get a chance to to sort of untangle all of the continuity stuff that had happened since we had turned her into a villain because she had popped up in Teen Titans, she had popped up in Supergirl, and there wasn't a lot of coordination between the appearances. So I was very excited to sort of get in there and untangle that and try and make sense out of everything that happened. Not to disown anything that happened. Not to say, oh, this was an imaginary story or, oh, this was a dream. But to say, yeah, this all happened and here's a logical timeline for how it happened and why it happened. It may not be the easiest to swallow, but it does make sense. And that, to me, was what the Batgirl miniseries was all about. Um, And it was a lot of untangling, let me tell you. It was a couple of weeks of sitting down with with all of the appearances and all of the information that, that had happened, and going through it and sorting it out and showing it to Mike, and Mike saying, yeah, this works, yeah, this doesn't quite track, and putting together a timeline. And then there was a whole other discussion about, well, how do we present, present this in the book? Do we spread it out over the six issues as to what really happened to her, or do we get it all out of the way at once? And it was Mike's decision, I think it was a good one, to do all of it at once. So I think there were three or four pages in the first issue that were really talky uh, in the background miniseries where everything was just laid out. Here's what happened. X, Y, Z, here's how he came to be to this point. From there we were able to get into the story and not look back. Um, and I think if you read it, it tracks. I think it makes sense. It's it's a convoluted story, and a lot of stuff happened to her, um, but it makes sense, and it does track, and it gets her back uh, realistically on the side of good by the end.
1: There's a blog called Comics Should Be Good, and they had, uh, when the first issue of the mini miniseries came out, that first page where it was really, really talky, like you said, and they said yeah. that was one of their favorite pages just because of how many words were on there where they go through the whole exposition before the batgirl miniseries though when with her redemption and everything you did have in titans east uh she became good and it was revealed that she was under mind control by deathstroke at what point when you were writing titans east was it said okay we're just gonna have it be mind control we're gonna get rid of this evil thing was that your decision or editorial at what point did that come into effect and how did deathstroke come into the picture
3: that was a, a legacy story idea that was left over from Jeff when Jeff was working on the book, and I think he was doing that in part to uh, to relieve a little bit of the Internet pressure on me, <laughs> to sort of provide a way out as to, you know, uh, why Cassandra had suddenly made this left turn. Um, I had my own justifications for it in my mind in the way that it was written, and, and Jeff came up with his, which was a good idea, which was, uh, you know, she was mind-controlled. She was on drugs, and... The only reason that caused some problems was that after we showed her getting off the drugs in Titans, we had her over in Robin killing someone. So... We had to sort of reconcile that as well. Um, what I was doing when I came on to, to Titans was finishing a storyline that, that Jeff had started. Uh and again, for whatever reason, it, it had wound up going from being a six issue story into a four issue story, the Titans E storyline. So and that happened I think two issues after I came in. Uh Jeff was going to remain on through the run of that Titans E storyline. Other commitments forced him to move on a little bit earlier. Um, leaving me to write the end of it and sort of compress the last four issues that he had in mind into two issues. Uh, And that was a little tricky, Uh, which is why that storyline probably ends a little abruptly for some people. Uh, um, I probably could have done a better job of ending that storyline in two issues as opposed to the four that was originally intended. But it is what it is. Uh, What that storyline did for Batgirl was, yeah, it made her a hero again, but it made her actions that followed it, at least in terms of what books came out when, uh, really confusing. And some of that's my fault because I was working pretty far ahead on Robin. Freddie and I had a lot of a lot of lead time and we were working two or three months ahead of where we were supposed to be as far as the deadlines. So that story was already written, already planned out, already out there before Jeff I think even came up with the idea of quote unquote curing her. So part of the the challenge of doing the Girl Limited series was to say, okay, she's off drugs over here, but back over here, she sure looks like she's still on the drugs and killing people. What's going on? <laughs> so that was another part of the tangled spaghetti mess we had to unravel prior to going into the Background Limited series.
2: Well, you know, I, w- I want to touch back on what you had kind of said, you know, that, uh, you know, the fans had a very uh, kind of a negative reaction to the story yeah, of uh, <laughs> <laughs>
3: Batgirl turning. <laughs> <Bad Girl> <laughs> Adam well, not my real name, by the way. I'm in witness
2: protection. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, what was the funniest reaction you got? Oh, you define just... funny. I
3: mean, <laughs> <laughs> funny, do craziest, you, any of do them. you. Do you find threats of dismemberment to be humorous? <laughs> um, I, you know, and, and again, I'll, I'll tell you this. I didn't go on and read the, the internet reaction much after the first issue that she was bad, you know, was evil, came out. Uh, pretty much when I saw the first thread on a DC message board which said Adam Beechin's fingers should be broken irreparably so he can never type again (laughs) and when I saw that I thought oh well you know maybe I shouldn't read the internet (laughs) Um, when I got got into writing mainstream DC comics Jeff Johns gave me two very very good pieces of advice and I've tried my best to live up to them and not always had a lot of success but the first piece of of advice was don't read the internet and the second piece of advice was, don't read the Internet. <laughs> and, uh, and I have tried to, uh, to stick with that. Um, you know, my, my goal is to tell the best stories I can the best way I know how uh, in ways that make my editors happy, uh, that they approve of, so that I can continue to, to keep telling stories. Um, and for the most part, the editors have been very receptive when I've said, you know, this doesn't strike me as the right direction for this character, or... You know, I understand why you want to do this. Can we approach it in a different way? But my job really isn't, and as much as I respect the fans and as much as I, you know, have been a fan for 30 years, is not to really take what I see on a message board into account when I go in to plot my next issue. I have to stay true to the stories that, that I feel are right for the character that I want to write, that my editors have approved, uh, and tell them the best way I know how. After that, it's pretty much out of my hands. The baby's, you know, left the, the hospital. Um, and all I can do is, is hope that people like it. Uh, and if they do, great. And if they don't, great. I've got to keep plugging on, and I've got to keep writing. Uh, again, I respect Batgirl fans much as they would choose not to believe that I do. Um, I respect Batgirl fans a great deal, and I was glad that they were so passionate in their response to the book. What well, I have liked it to have been passionate, like, yeah, we think this is a fantastic way of of you know uh, of doing new things for the character. Absolutely. But I think I would have felt even worse than having someone threaten to break my fingers if the fans (laughs) had said, you know, whatever. Because that means that no one really cares about what happens to the character. And what the experience taught me was that every character, no matter how small a role they've had, how big a role they've had in the 70 years of DC continuity history, is someone's favorite. And every hero is someone's least favorite. And every artist is someone's favorite, every artist is someone's least favorite, every writer, same thing. So you're never going to make everybody happy. You're never going to make everybody unhappy, although I came pretty close. Um, so all you can do is just try and do the best you can and tell the best stories you can. And, uh, you know, maybe someday someone comes back around and says, you know what, these stories weren't so bad. And it makes sense given what we saw of the character and the character's past." And uh, whether or not that ever happens, I don't know. I hope so. Uh, Regardless, I'm really proud of the work we did on Batgirl and on with my collaborators, working with Freddie Williams, with Jim Calafiore, with the editors, and all the other talented people that worked on the books. And the books are out there. So I take full responsibility for anything and everything people read.
1: (laughs) In the conclusion of the Batgirl miniseries, you had Bruce officially adopt Cassandra Was that you were editorial? Was this done with R.I.P. in mind, or at the time this was being done, was Cassandra's feature in place, or did you already know that she wasn't going to be Batgirl come the end of the summer?
3: I did not know. Um, In fact, I did not know when I started Batgirl about Batman R.I.P. I did not know that was going to happen. Um, the idea was that Batgirl would be adopted by Bruce because we wanted something desperately nice to happen to Batgirl. She had been through so much. We wanted something positive to happen to her uh, and happen for her. And it seemed to me that her whole quest throughout her life had really been to find a, a stable sort of family life. And it, I suggested to Mike Martz, you know, since, since Batman adopted Tim not so long ago, What's, what's stopping him from adopting Batgirl and giving her that stability that she really, really needs, and that family that she has been longing for all this time? Not a conventional family, obviously, but at least a family. And Mike thought that was a good idea. And so we wrote it with that in mind. And then halfway through, Mike called me up and said, so, you know, we're killing Batman. And I said, really? <laughs> and uh, he said, do you want to change anything about the adoption? And I said, no. I mean, I think it still accomplishes what we want to do. It's a nice gesture towards Cassandra. It's something that she can feel good about. But at the same time, there's a poignancy to it because everybody who reads the book is going to know that Batman is on the way out. So it'll be like more tragedy coming. She has this moment of, of happiness, but there's more tragedy coming. Um, and I think that worked out pretty well. Out of
0: curiosity, how how much longer before... R.I.P. started, did you actually write the, the series? Just because it seems, t- well, it seems to me at least that the this, the miniseries was kind of put out, in, in my opinion, at the wrong time. Like, it was very strange how the last issue was right around the same time R.I.P. was wrapping up.
3: Right, right. Uh, you know, I'm not sure of the exact timeline of when I was working on it. I know that I was writing it uh, up through last summer, um, and I don't know how far in advance... The whole R.I.P. storyline was cooking. uh, It may have been before that, and I just didn't know about it. Uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, I don't remember the timeline. Mike, I think, contacted me about doing it last spring, maybe? Spring of 2008. And I worked on it through the summer. Yeah, because
0: the last issue actually foreshadows what's going to happen in R.I.P. by having Batman's shadow... saying R.I.P. while he's hugging Cassandra. So it's just kind of interesting because it just seemed like it was out of place with the timeline of everything else going on. But at the same time, everything was kind of out of place with Robin moving on to further along in the story and then taking a backtrack when it came back to Faces of Evil.
3: Right. I think looking back on it now, it's pretty clear that the Batgirl storyline takes place pretty immediately before Batman started losing it for the the Batman R.I.P. story. So, uh, and the Batgirl story doesn't take place over a very long period of time. Uh, Really, probably just a couple of days, if I remember right. Uh, So I think that's where it fits into the timeline. Whether or not that was stated in the course of the actual miniseries, I don't know. But I think if you go back and look at it now, um, you know, it wasn't a secret to anybody by the time we ended the series that Batman was going to be dead if he wasn't already by the time that book came out.
0: So I, I don't I don't think it was so much that of a question of where it fits in the timeline as, as much as it was uh why it was released the way, when it was because it just it seems that maybe it, it was a monthly series maybe it should have been maybe a bi-weekly just to work out so it didn't end the same time RIP because it kind of takes some attention away from the
3: series. Uh yeah, maybe. Um you know that's more a question probably for Mike and for for editorial. Um you know, I know Jim was working pretty quick on it. I'm not sure how far ahead we were uh, by the time the last book came out. Um, we were never really under deadline pressure that I know of. Uh, so I don't know if it was feasible to do it as a biweekly book. I know that's, that's kind of hard to do in comics because right. not a lot of people work that fast.
0: Okay, so moving on to some pretty interesting questions that a lot of people want to know about. You've worked with Batgirl a lot. What are your thoughts about Cassandra being replaced as Batgirl?
3: Well, it goes back to Cassandra becoming a villain. Uh, do I think it's a permanent change? Not necessarily. Uh, you know, anything that is done in comics can be undone and usually is. Uh, you know The flash doesn't stay dead. Supergirl didn't stay dead, whatever. So from a story standpoint, from being a fan standpoint, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm interested to see what a new batgirl is like. I'm mostly interested to see how Cassandra reacts to it. Uh, because I'm more invested in her I've spent more time with her I have more insight of what I think is into her psyche so I'm interested from a story standpoint to see how that happens whether or not Cassandra ever goes back to being that girl I don't know whether or not she takes on another persona another uh, um, identity as a crime fighter I don't know um, but I'm interested to see it I'm interested to see anything that that happens with with Cassandra at this point. I'm not involved with the character uh, anymore, and that sound you hear is the sigh of a thousand internet wires of fans who are very pleased. Um, <laughs> I'm not involved with the character anymore. I'm not involved with the Robin character anymore. So, at this point, I'm I'm a fan like everybody else, and I get to sit back and see what's going to happen, and I'm excited. I'm excited to find out. Now, out of
0: curiosity, did DC ever, I guess, come to you and s- ask you anything about your opinions as far as what you would want to see down the road for Batgirl, whether it be Cassandra or whether it be a new Batgirl at all?
3: No, no, that was never brought up to me at all. Um, you know, we laid some stuff into place that, that she was going to be more part of the Bat family. I guess I sort of figured when we wrote that she was going to get adopted that we would see more of her uh, interacting and adjusting to having partners, to having a family around her. You know, she gets along fine with Tim. She doesn't get along real well with Dick, at least by the end of our story. I thought there was was tension to explore there. Uh, We had introduced a love interest for her, a possible love interest for her on the civilian side, um, who I guess is still out there. I don't know if anybody's picked up the ball on that. Um, But we had left a couple of things open as far as where people might go with the character. Whether or not they'll get around to that, I don't know. Whether or not they decided on another angle you know that's that's editorial's choice. and um, and I'll be excited to see what they do. i may I may be like everybody else, uh, every other fan, and and not agree with it. Uh, or I may love it. I don't know. Um, but in each case, it's a story, and it's a story that's part of of Cassandra's life. and it's a chapter that adds to the the mythos of who she is and and her long history in the DC universe. And it's one more stone to build upon for future stories. so i'm I'm looking forward to it
0: one last question as far as Batgirl, which is, besides Cassandra, because you're so involved with it, who would you want to see within the characters that you know of within the DC universe? Who would you want to see become the new Batgirl?
3: Bart Allen. No, I'm... I kid. (laughs) Um, you know, I'm stuck on Cassandra. To me, she's Batgirl. Uh, You know, Barbara Gordon, by now, has been Oracle long enough that I think of her as Oracle, definitively. Um, you know, Stephanie, to me, is spoiler. And there's a place for spoiler in the DC universe, and, and uh, I think she's fine where she is. And, you know, I'm like any other fan. I, I'm I'm okay with status quo. I'm okay with, with Cassandra staying as Batgirl. I think there's more stories to tell of Cassandra as Batgirl, but there's more stories to tell of Cassandra, regardless of whether she's Batgirl or not. Uh, so if it were me, I would, you know, I would like to see Batgirl be Cassandra for a long time to come. But... Again, this is another chapter uh, in another story, and something else to be built upon. And Cassandra's going to have her reactions to whoever winds up being Batgirl, and uh, and hopefully someone will explore that uh, in a story down the road.
2: You know that um, earlier you were talking about like you know how you wrote for Teen Titans and yeah. Justice League Unlimited. How is the transition from writing a comic book one month? Then writing a cartoon based around the same characters that are set in totally different continuities uh, affect your work.
3: <laughs> well, you, you really have to treat them as as completely different characters because the continuities are so different. Because in some ways the target audiences are very different, uh, you really have to sort of divorce yourself uh, and say, "All right, this isn't this isn't the Starfire of Countdown to Adventure that I'm writing here. This is the very well established Starfire of the Teen Titans animated series." She's got a different kind of personality, she's got a different kind of history, she's got a different kind of outlook, she doesn't have the thirty years of, of life experience that Corey has in the Teen Titans mainstream comic book. So you've got to take all of that into effect and really sort of treat it like a separate character. The basics the 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 uh, the linchpins of the personalities are by and large the same. You know, Robin's the serious leader and Corey is a bit of an airhead and, you know, cyborg is a is a uh, tech guy and, and Beast Boy is a goofball and what have you. But they're really different outside of that. The details are very different. So you, you have to sort of look at it as being apples and oranges. And uh, for the most part, I haven't gotten them confused. I haven't suddenly you know thrown in somebody getting a, a drug shot into their jugular vein uh, in an episode of Teen Titans. Um, But once in a while, you have to sort of pull back and remember, okay, I really am writing this cartoon for a target audience of 8 to 12-year-olds, and if adults happen to like it, great, but they're not my primary audience. Whereas with comics, the audience is a little bit older. They're coming at it with much more sense of the history of the characters, so you have to write it a little bit more towards what they would expect.
0: Now, one thing we're always curious about is where writers get their inspiration for the comics. Now, you do comics and cartoons, so where do you get your inspiration to write the stories that you write for the different comics
3: and the cartoons? I mail away for them. Um, <laughs> there's a uh, there's an ad that I found on Facebook of all places. It just comes up on the strip on the side there. It says, need ideas for your stories? And you just write away <laughs> for it. Uh, I don't know why more writers don't do that. Um, you know, I, I wish I could answer that question. I mean, like every other writer, I get asked that a lot. And I, I guess the answer is, if I knew where the, right, where the ideas came from, I would, like, build a condo there and live there full time. Um, ideas come from everywhere. They come from your own life experience. They come from things that you've read in the past. They come from your knowledge of the character and the character's history uh, and the character's attitudes about different things. Um, you know, sometimes they're high concept uh which some writers have a very uh uh good knack for Jeff being one of them uh sometimes they're much more intimate and much more character based and flow out of character i think mine tend towards that and if i could really improve as a writer it would be in trying to come up with some more high concept ideas i haven't really figured out where the switch for that is that i can flick on so suddenly the high concept ideas will come to me but uh maybe someday um, So I I don't have a really good answer for you uh, as that. If an idea comes to me, I don't really question where where it came from. I just take it and put it down on paper and hope somebody pays me for it.
0: Well, you're not the first one to give us that answer.
3: (laughs)
1: You wrote the Night of the Huntress episode for Batman Brave of the Bold. What were some of the restrictions that were in place, because this was a kid's cartoon? Like, I noticed Huntress, who's a more lethal character, you had to convey that by having her torture calculator off-screen, but I did notice that in the cold open, we did have a guy almost get his head sawed off.
3: Well, the key distinction there is that you never actually saw either one. The intent to saw off the scientist's head in the beginning was there, but we never actually showed it happening. And with the huntress torturing the calculator, it was talked about, but again, never shown. So in that sense, you're able to imply both things. Um, Were there any restrictions that were officially placed on me in terms of writing that episode? I would say no outside of the restrictions that are on just about any cartoon that you write that has an action-adventure bent. You can't be too gory. You can't show a lot of blood. You can't have characters getting you know punched in the head or, or, or what have you. You can't show uh, uh, entrance wounds but no exit wounds or something like that. Um, with Huntress, I was actually encouraged to go as far as I could with the suggestiveness of the story of of huntress's sort of f&m tendencies <laughs> in her uh out of control libido um and uh they would pull me back they said if i if i went too far and i don't think they pulled me back too far looking at the episode she's she's a pretty hot mama and she's out on the prowl looking for it and uh i think that plays to great effect in the show there's a lot of humor in it i think it came out really, really well, especially when played off against the perversity of of Babyface and Mrs. Manface, uh, who have got to get the award for weirdest villain combo of animation (laughs) history. Man. And and my favorite scene, of course, in the whole issue, or issue, in the whole episode, is where they kiss, and it happens off screen, and all you see are the reaction of the police that are in the room, and they just go, oh. And (laughs) that's another example of something that you know is happening. Happening off-screen, you don't need to see it to get the same kind of impact that you're that you're getting uh, anyway at home. So, kind of like the the scene in Reservoir Dogs when uh, when uh, the guy cuts off the cop's ear, you don't actually see the slicing, but you know it's happening.
0: Now, since you've written Batman in so many of the different racing cartoons, would yeah. you ever want to be involved in one of the Warner Brothers direct-to-video films like the upcoming Superman Batman Public Enemies, since they're based you know, pretty precise on stories that are coming from the comics.
3: Yeah, um, I would love to. And whether it's Batman or another character, uh, I would love to be part of that and, and be involved in that. I love those stories. I love that those writers get a chance to really stretch out and, and tell stories that feature a lot of characters that have a whole different kind of pace to them, that have a lot of action, a lot of twists and turns. I would, I would love to be lucky enough to be involved with that. And I've met with the producers of those um properties and i have a pitch to them uh, i have a pitch in to them now uh and i'm hoping to hear something good and, and hopefully i get a chance to join that family at some point soon
0: now out of curiosity i know you obviously can't tell us your pitch but if you had the opportunity to do any character you wanted to any story you wanted to what would you do
2: well,
3: I and I've talked about this elsewhere. I have a really good idea. This isn't for animation. This would be for the comics. I have a really good idea for Aquaman. And, oh uh, yeah,
0: yes, and, behind and, you. <laughs>
3: and it's funny because I I, I met with Dan DeDio last December. He was out here in L. A. and he was meeting with uh, you know freelancers and and uh, exclusives with DC and just chatting with them and catching them up and stuff. And I said to Dan towards the end of the meeting, I said, you know. Uh, I know you probably have plans in the works for this character, but I've got a really good idea for Aquaman. And he said, yeah, you know what? Everybody and their mother tells me they've got a really good idea for Aquaman, and almost none of the ideas are good. And I said, well, would you mind listening to mine? And he sort of rolled his eyes. And he sat back in his chair and he said, go ahead. And I pitched him my idea, and he (laughs) he sat up and he said, you know what? That's kind of interesting. So... (laughs) I know they have plans for the immediate future with Aquaman. I know stuff is coming up with uh, uh, some of the things that are, that are happening in the DC universe. But I'm hoping that maybe after all that dust settles, I'll get a chance to tell that story, because I, I think it would be a great way to start a new Aquaman ongoing and, and be pretty accessible to readers. Uh, so that's, that's my hope. On the animation side, you know, each, each show is different. Each challenge is different. Um, you know, I have favorite shows that I've written for before. Um, but I love writing for a new show that I don't have any experience with, that I don't know anything about the characters, so I can help sort of set the tone for what those characters are going to be going forward, hopefully in the sense that they become something really popular that people really get into.
2: That's cool. I, I would love to see a good Aquaman story. But
3: you now, both. <laughs> it, uh... My idea, by the way, is that
2: he has a hook for a head. <laughs> <laughs> I think that hasn't been done yet. <laughs> don't go! Don't go read the internet after that. You <laughs> <laughs> oh, thought the they're, Batgirl they're, fans were bad. Wait till the
1: Aquaman fans come after you with the hooks.
2: Yeah,
3: I'm
2: scared of Aquaman fans because they got tridents.
3: Yeah, <laughs> those, those fans they come are looking
2: for you. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, are there any desires for you to come back to the bad books? But if so, we found out that you're a big sports fan. Is there any quality story that you may be involving any of the, the sport teams from Gotham, like the Gotham Knights, the football team?
3: <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about that before uh, before <laughs> you asked me. I, and I don't know that I have a, a sports story um, necessarily set to go. It's funny. I wrote a graphic novel that was sports-based. It came out last year called Dugout from AIT Planet Lair. That's, you know, it's a baseball story. It's a baseball prison break story of all things. Uh, so I like telling stories that involve sports, but... You know, they don't necessarily match up a whole lot when you're talking about the mainstream superhero community. Um, mm-hmm. People who, who buy those books don't necessarily want to read a lot about sports. Uh, some do, but uh, probably not a whole lot. So I think I'm probably safer sticking to the arena of, you know, person in long underwear beats up other person in long underwear.
2: Hey, you can take a football, a Gotham Knights football guy and make him a villain or something. You know, they're. There's a could. story there.
3: could yeah, didn't uh didn't Marvel have a whole whole new universe book about that, like Kickers Inc. way back in the day?
2: Oh the NFL football, yeah. <laughs> yeah the ain't uh, good new thing. universe. Yeah then football ain't good players turned superheroes? Yeah, the super pros or something like that.
3: Yeah, something like that. Why <laughs> not? I I you know, I, if I want to do an Aquaman story, maybe I can introduce the Gotham Swim team. <laughs> 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 Michael Phelps. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, is there any other? Is there any desire that you have of coming back to the Bat Books? Like, do you have any stories that you feel like you want to tell at all?
3: Yeah, no, I've got I've got a lot of ideas that I would love to tell with the Bat characters. Uh, most of them, at this point, are standalone. I don't I don't spend a lot of energy coming up with long, ongoing storylines when I'm not you know really in line for an assignment. But there are individual stories that I would love to tell. I've I've often said that. My ideal job would be to tour the DC universe and write one issue of every book and just go from month to month writing a different standalone for every book. I think that would be a lot of fun. It would be a way to get my, you know, get my, uh, uh, my Jones satisfied for every character that's at DC. In a, in a little way, that's kind of what I did with Justice League Unlimited. Um, we weren't really restricted by continuity, and when I took over the book, the editor said, you can use any character that's ever been associated with the Justice League. And I said, well, that's pretty much everybody. And I said, that's right. So I did a lot of spotlight issues on different heroes. I mean, and it was really up to me. Uh, we did Boana Beast one issue. We did Martian Manhunter the next. We did Vixen over here. We did Gypsy over there. We did Vigilante. We did, uh, you know, Superman. And that was a real dream job for me because I could tell one story, get in, get out, move on to the next hero. That was kind of cool. So that's kind of where my ideas lie for for any of the back characters right now are with individual standalone stories. Um, my friend Tony Bedard actually jumped on one of the stories that I had in mind. I'm sure it came to him completely independently because I don't think I ever told him about it. And he did a fantastic job with it. Uh, but that one's sort of out the window for me now. Uh, he had uh, Joker get punched in the mouth over in Birds of Prey and ruin sort of his signature smile. And I had a whole story I wanted to do about that. But uh, Tony, I'm sure, did it better than I would have. Um, But I have other stories that I would love to tell, and hopefully I'll get the opportunity.
0: Well, the last question we have is, what what upcoming projects do you have?
3: I'm making Batgirl into a villain. (laughs) No, I'm I'm kidding. Settle down. That's a good idea.
1: The fans will love it. (laughs) (laughs) That sound here is
3: now the internet (laughs) melting. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, I'm doing stuff over at Wildstorm right now I've got a six-issue miniseries that's coming out First issue came out last week It's called Killapalooza uh, It's a standalone, uh, creator-owned original series Trevor Harrison is drawing it And if you've ever seen Trevor's work, you know how brilliant it is It's great, it's about a rock band by night And hired assassins by later at night uh, it's completely goofy, completely silly, completely over the top—not to be, made, not meant to be taken seriously at all. And we have—we're uh, having a lot of fun doing it. The first issue just came out last week, uh, and then I'm talking with Wildstorm about doing more stuff for them. So that's where I am for the time being. I've got an issue of Brave and the Bold coming out over on the mainstream DCU, uh, and that should be out—I think it's next month or the month after. And of course, the Batgirl trade is coming out very soon after we finish this podcast.
0: All right. Well, Adam, I want to thank you a lot for coming on the show. You answered a, a lot of questions and gave us some really good answers. I <laughs> know everybody who's listening, who you know, isn't mel- melting the internet. They actually they'd like to know your side of the story at least.
3: Right. Well, I, I, you know, and I, I'm sure that it doesn't change anybody's opinion necessarily about me. But, but you know, people now know at least a little more about how everything worked out and what we were trying to do whether or not we were successful is not up to me to decide um, but I'm proud of the story I'm proud of what we did with, with girl. I'm proud of how the whole story resolved itself I think it's a worthy chapter in her, her, her history and like everybody else I'm looking forward to where she goes from here
0: well again Adam thanks I want to thank everybody for sending in your questions and we'll see you guys next time
2: tune in tomorrow
0: same bat time
3: Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem. We're glad you responded to my... E- I'm glad you responded to my emails.
3: Well, no any chance how... to show the uh, the Batman fan base that I'm not an evil mustache twirling bastard? <laughs> You're not? <sighs> I twirl my mustache. Don't get me wrong. And I'm evil. <laughs> I'm just not a bastard. My parents were married.
1: What
2: about that girl who I saw you... All talking? right, all right, Josh, Josh, Josh. Josh. All right.
3: Hmm.